0: How important is it to offer your clients payment plans? According to a survey of 4,000 clients that used QuickFee to pay a professional services firm, 90% said that it's very important that payment plans are offered. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, QuickFee, later in the episode.
1: What's a piece of information that you learned that feels illegal to know? That if you... Start an S-corporation, and you own 100% of your S-corporation, that you can buy everything that you own under that S-corporation, and then you don't pay taxes on anything that you purchase because it's considered a corporate expense.
2: Today is February 6th, 2021. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. David, are you on TikTok? We've talked about this. I think you are. No, no. I I, uh, oh. I
0: I, was playing with it like in the beginning of the pandemic. And then I realized like I'm wasting a lot of time on TikTok. And then remember that they were talking about the Chinese spying on it. And remember Trump was going to like shut the whole company off from the US. And right around then I just got off the app and that was <laughs> it. But apparently every it's still
2: around, I guess. And I think Oracle is like still going to host TikTok in the US or something. I, I haven't heard about that in a while. But what I have heard about is the terrible, terrible financial and tax advice that is going viral on TikTok. There's a story on Vox about this and they they don't have the links to the TikTok videos because you can't actually do that because TikTok's a mobile app and you can't access it on your desktop. But somebody did us a favor and compiled the worst examples in a YouTube compilation video. I found that video and I want to play for you two of the uh, bad tax advice TikToks that are out there. You want to hear these? So, so these are things like
0: I should listen to, but I should not take this advice.
2: Yes, this is, this is misinformation to the extreme. And I should preface this by saying that these are part of a meme or a type of TikTok, I suppose we could call it, where somebody poses a question and then other people answer that question. So first I'm going to play the question, and then I'm going to play one of the answers. Okay.
1: What's a piece of information that you learned that feels illegal to know?
3: If you apply for a credit card with like a 100,000 point sign-on bonus, those points are worth $1,000 cash back. If you use it for travel, it's worth $2,000. And if you know how to optimize your points and leverage the status that that credit card gives you, It's worth upwards of like $5,000. And you don't need to spend the $5,000 that's the requirement to get those points. You can set up different accounts like a Stripe account. Your first $20,000 is free. No credit card charges. You give yourself that $5,000. Get it sent directly back to your bank account. Pay off your credit card for the $5,000 and get a free 100,000 points. In three months, I had 500,000 points. My reward status was President Circle, Platinum with Marriott. I always buy the cheapest hotel rooms and get upgraded to the nicest suites. These are all just a bunch of legal loopholes.
2: Okay, so I don't think that's how it works. And I think that's like against the credit card terms of service. But that's an example of one of those credit card miles point schemes that people talk about. I think I saw some tweets similar
0: to that, not not so much credit card mile schemes, but with like taking your PPP refund and then uh, turning into this and turning into this it's just like complete ridiculousness right to find up saving you thirty thousand
2: dollars in taxes like it's just where do these start from? It gets better, it gets better so here's one about how you can start a church to avoid paying taxes
1: what's a piece of information that you learned that feels illegal to know
3: because of the way our tax laws work? You could basically start a church and pay yourself a tax free housing allowance. And you can pay yourself as much as you want. There's no limit on how much. You could also use the money from your company to use as a donation to your
2: church that you just started and get a tax write-off for the donation for your company as well so that you're not paying taxes on the profits for the money that you gave and then take that money as a housing allowance and still keep all of your money while not having to pay taxes on any of it. Like I'm no expert on not-for-profits or, or churches, but I, I, I definitely think there's going to be a, a, a problem with that. And and here's the best one.
1: What's a piece of information that you learned that feels illegal to know? That if you start an S corporation and you own 100% of your S corporation, that you can buy everything that you own under that S corporation, and then you don't pay taxes on anything that you purchase because it's considered a corporate expense, and you can take one corporate vacation a year, and depending on how much money your corporation makes, that price actually fluctuates up, and you can actually hire your children to work for you for $12,000 a year tax-free, so then you're actually showing an expense, but you're gifting it back to your own family household, and then you pay yourself a salary, which means you pay less self-employment taxes, and then basically at the end of every month, you're left with $0 to pay real taxes on. It feels really shitty to do it, but it's kind of how you avoid paying taxes, so... I don't
0: know. <laughs> so this seems like a genius, like a, like a marketing opportunity for firm owners. I think there's those videos, right Like like you might make a video and then I can like on TikTok, while your video is playing, film myself and my reactions to your video. So there could be a marketing opportunity for some accountant or bookkeeper that's creative out there to, to have these videos playing and just you roast know,
2: counterbalance them and roast them, right? I think there's a not market opportunity here. Or, or just offer like real, actually useful tax advice that isn't a complete lie, that isn't total misinformation. Like, but nobody, nobody's searching for that stuff. The TikTok algorithms will never bring, never,
0: it'll never rise up to the top of the, to the pile, right? It's going to raise up this
2: sensationalized things. Like, well, the way the TikTok algorithm works is that if people like it, then it goes out to more people. So stuff goes viral really quickly. If there's no searching. It's just it pushes stuff into people's feeds. So, I I think that honest, real information that is useful presented in an engaging way could actually make it to the top of the TikTok algorithm. And I just think that tax preparers, CPAs, EAs need to get out there who know what they're talking about and get on TikTok and and drown out this misinformation with real information. That's that's my call to action for all of our listeners. Is if if you've if you think this is bad. Let's get out there and start giving people real, real knowledge, <laughs> do a public service. And maybe you'll get some clients. I don't know. There's a lot of people on TikTok. Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> and, I, and I saw, I, I think that last one you played, I think I've seen that one specifically on uh, Twitter as well. And there's, yeah, there's a lot of this just gets traction, right? And, yep. you know, and,
2: and that was a realtor, by the way, I believe, who obviously doesn't know what she's talking about. Well, um, even
0: better, if you're an accountant, make a bunch of videos about real estate and, and being a realtor. <laughs> Then you'll get, you with misinformation in it, and that'll get you attention.
2: I want to make a prediction, David. Can I do that, even though it's already February? Yes. I think that the 2020s, the 20s, the roaring 20s, are going to be the decade of misinformation. It's not just politics. It's going to be everything. Clearly, this is an issue. So let's, let's, uh, let's do what we can. You know, it does make me feel good, though, that this is out there because we don't always get everything right on our show. It's hard to when you do a weekly hour-long show and it's not your day job. So at least we're not that bad. We, we try to stay in our
0: lane a little bit, maybe. <laughs> no, well, we
2: tend to get out of it a lot, yes. But oh, wow. <laughs> we, do our, we do our best.
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Practice Ignition. Are you spending countless hours editing Word documents to create your engagement letters for this upcoming tax season? Are you still chasing down AR from last tax season? With Practice Ignition, you can quickly and easily prepare your client engagement letters and collect payments all in one place. By using Practice Ignition's new proposal editor, you can streamline your sales process and upsell services by allowing your clients to choose from up to three proposal options. Once they choose their desired proposal, the clients select their preferred pricing option, enter their payment details, and sign, all in one place. Practice Ignition's new proposal letter also gives you greater control with more flexible billing options, including annual, quarterly, monthly, weekly, hourly, and even variable unit-based billing for volume-based services. To learn more about how Practice Ignition can help your firm, and to get 25% off your first year on the professional annual plan, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/pi. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash pi.
2: Um, so, speaking of not misinformation, what actual good information do we have for our listeners this week, David? I have
0: five stories, all on. Some of them are small, but they're all Intuit related. A lot of announcements from Intuit this week.
2: I've got a story about diversity in the accounting profession. This is February. It is Black History Month and it's always a good time to remind ourselves that less than 1% of all licensed CPAs in the United States are African American. We can talk about that in a new survey from the IMA and Cal CPA about lack of diversity in the profession.
0: What do you want to jump in with? You want to start with the
2: diversity? So let's talk about this survey from IMA. It's called Diversifying U.S. Accounting Talent, A Critical Imperative to Achieve Transformational outcomes. Uh, and there's a particular table in this survey that that shows the diversity gap in accounting leadership. When you look at the US population versus the accounting workforce, it's not the best, but it's not like terrible in terms of diversity. Women are actually overrepresented In accounting and auditing, at sixty-two percent of the workforce, Hispanics or Latinos, nine percent. About Uh, if you're Black or African American, you represent about eight point five percent of the accounting workforce. Asians are overrepresented at twelve percent. But when you look at the leadership in Fortune 500 and S and P 500 companies, or you look at the partners in accounting firms it's not representative at all. So for instance, females are only 14% of CFOs in big companies. They are only 23% of partners in accounting firms. Uh, Hispanics or Latinos, 1.6% in-house, 2% in public accounting. Black or African American, 1.4% in-house leadership. In public accounting, 1% of partners. And Asians only make up 4.9% and 4% respectively from in-house and, and in public accounting. So so basically, the story is what we know, which is that the vast majority of accounting firm partners, it's like 70-something percent are white males. And the the thing that is really problematic when you look at fixing that is that a lot of people are leaving accounting. of diverse groups left a position because of, quote, lack of equitable treatment, unquote, with another 40% leaving due to an overall lack of inclusion. So accounting has a real problem. And the thing that kind of depresses me about this is that when we talk about what we're going to do to fix it, the conclusion is always that we need to do more mentorship or more outreach. And that was actually the conclusion of one of the panels that was... Uh, brought together as a part of the study was that we need to do more mentorship to bridge the gap between underrepresented minorities in the profession and senior leadership. But like when you look at why underrepresented minorities are leaving the profession, they say it's specifically because of lack of equitable treatment. So is mentorship enough? Like I don't think there's a, there's a disconnect here between the reason that we are not getting a diverse leadership and what we're actually doing to fix it. And that's why this hasn't changed. For 40 years, for instance, the number of black CPAs or the percentage of black CPAs has been the same, 1%, almost for 40 years. Well, and and it goes back further
0: further than that. So yes, February is Black History Month. And so a bunch of the accounting organizations, this includes the AICPA, the Diverse Organization of Firms, the Illinois CPA Society, and the National Association of Black Accountants, and the National, Association, national Society of Black CPAs. They came together and they've announced a national awareness campaign. And really what it's to do, it's a year-long celebration of the very first black to become a CPA. A hundred years ago, John Cromwell Jr. became the first registered black CPA. So now if you think about that, we are now 100 years later and only less than 1% of all CPAs in the US are black. It's been 100 years and zero progress has been made.
2: Yeah, well, and, and the same article talks about the experience of Lester McKeever. He's the former chair of the Chicago Fed. In the 1950s, he struggled to find work as a black accountant because none of the big eight accounting firms would hire African Americans, period. And the reason they gave was that clients wouldn't accept black accountants in the big eight. So as recently as the 1950s, you couldn't get a job there. And I think that only started to change in the 60s and the 70s. So there's a long history of this, you know, a specific, you know, conscious exclusion. That, that's why I, I think like these steps of mentorship programs, it's just, it's not
1: enough.
0: So this uh, campaign they're doing actually has its own uh, website, it's a www.blackcpacentennial.cpa. So they're using the .cpa domain. There's a whole site and it really talks about the history and it profiles different people in the industry. And so the, what's nice about this, I think, the best part of this, I think, in my opinion, is it's not just a February thing. They're going to really push and beat this drum over the next year um, through different events and webinars. And you know, it, it's not just a, a one and done in February. Mm-hmm. Right, celebrate this hundredth anniversary for the entire year.
2: Yeah, I guess it's good, but like, I don't know. To me, it's like thoughts and prayers, right? Honor, celebrating, and building on the history of Black CPAs—that's great and everything. But unless you're actually going to do something to, to to fix the the underlying like structure of why they're not making into leadership positions, why women are not making it into leadership positions, like it's not it's not it's almost like worse in my opinion because you're you're basically doing something that you know isn't going to achieve anything because it's not worked in the past and, and i want to add one more thing on this the lack of diversity in accounting isn't just a problem when it comes to optics it it actually hurts our profession because lack of diversity leads to lack of uh, diversity of thought yes and so if you if you look at like why public accounting firms don't innovate I would argue that a, a big reason they fail to innovate and change is because it's all a bunch of white guys who think the same way and have the same life experiences and they're hurting themselves actually by not having a diverse set of partners. And I noticed something that backs this up. Uh, Donnie Shimamoto went to a conference in Hawaii and did a write up. About uh, takeaways from the conference, and one of the papers that he he uh, learned about was about audit quality and diversity. It's a paper called Audit Leadership, Diversity, and Audit Quality, and they found that when there's a culture emphasizing diversity, there are fewer subsequent restatements and a more conservative approach to accruals. So diversity improves audit quality, and I think it also you know makes firms more innovative. I, I don't know how to say it other than from my own personal experience where I'm a straight white male who went to a good university and like I'm the perfect fit theoretically for an accounting firm and I tried it and I found that it was the last place I wanted to be was a partner at a at a big accounting firm because it's all just people who are like thinking the same way and doing the same thing and it's just so boring. If, if we want to innovate as a profession, we got to fix the diversity thing. They're linked. That's just my opinion. The progress so far
0: has been very, very sad. Uh, the, there's the list of uh, the first 100 black accountants. And now uh, think about this. 1921 was the first one. And it took until 1965 for number 100.
2: Yeah. It's, so, it's Two a year. And the reason it took so long is because that to sit for the CPA exam, you used to have to have work experience. And so CPA firms wouldn't hire you if you were black. So you couldn't get the experience to sit for the exam. So that's, that's part of the reason it took so long.
0: And it's uh, very deeply rooted because if you look at this list, twenty eight percent of them were in Illinois, and then uh, you know, if you a uh, decent amount in New York, New Jersey. You're, you're really your northern states. There's like one one off in like Texas, one off in Louisiana, but you're not seeing Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Florida. You're not seeing any any. Yeah, where we from a from a population perspective, there's more African Americans in the Southern United States. And yeah. they're not, it's completely upside down from a ratio of how many in those first uh, forty years became a CPA.
2: So, like this is also linked to the talent crisis in the profession because when you're losing your minority potential leaders because they don't feel like your firm is inclusive, you're really hurting yourself. You're losing some of your most talented people, and and yet we hear over and over again every year that recruiting and retaining talent is the biggest challenge of accounting firms. I saw that again today in another in another study. So, we got to connect these things. And it's just going to get worse, most likely, right? So, we're going to get into this weird situation where we have a really, really diverse workforce, but we have a very not diverse leadership. Uh, and I guess maybe it'll get so bad that eventually something has to happen. But like my opinion is that because of the way that partnerships admit new partners, that this problem cannot be solved purely by mentorship. The only way you're actually going to get a more diverse partner group is if the firm specifically says, we are going to have this target for the number of women that we promote. And we're going to have this target for the number of minority groups that we promote every year. And they just make sure that happens and, and they do it. Uh, I think that's the only way that you can actually solve the problem. And you just have to like start at a certain, at a number that's re- realistic and increase it. Yeah, it could actually get fixed also just by
0: natural market dynamics. I think the bigger firms want diversity now and, and they're, they probably have a head of diversity. Their HR has probably been tasked, their recruiters are tasked, like, hey, we need to bring more diversity
2: to our firm. But do they really, or is that just a PR thing? Well,
0: well I, I think it's a, they want to do it and they're probably even tasked to do it. But the problem is, there's just at the bottom of the funnel,
2: like,
0: there's no interest in people in becoming accountants.
2: Well, because why would I, if I were black and I were interested in accounting, why would I then want to go into accounting when I see that like none of the partners look exactly. like me?
0: Exactly. So here's my theory of the free market, right? Yeah. If all the big firms, they want they 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 want to be the firm, right? All, all the big firms want to be the firm. Like, look how diverse we are, right? I think that might actually drive up wages. And because of that, more people want to be like, hey, you know, there's, there's demand. Like, the wages pay higher. Now I'm going to be interested in becoming an accountant because- as a black accountant, they're, they're people are bidding for my services. Like they'll pay you more. They'll pay you more because they want you on. They they like the firms want you on their um, diversity balance sheet, if you want to call it that. Right? Like yeah. it's I,
2: is that legal though? I don't know if you can pay people more based on race or gender. Like that's
0: yeah. I I don't know. I don't know if it's legal or not. <laughs> I just but but, 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 that, but but I guess where I'm going with this is like paying more will encourage people to become that profession. Right, mm-hmm. like the the market could fix this. Um, maybe, maybe there's grants. Maybe there's special ways to to handle that. Right, to get people to encouraged
2: to go down that path and become accountants. Maybe. Do you want to move over to App News and talk about that QuickBooks stuff?
0: Yeah, we can jump over. So a couple stories from QuickBooks this week. A couple quick ones that are teeny. So. Intuit acquired T-Sheets. Is it four years ago now? Props possibly. And I there was, forget. It was. It was a while ago. Yeah. They are finally slowly they're finally a reband, rebrand. Right. It was like T-Sheets by QuickBooks. Then they changed the T-Sheet red to the Intuit logo blue in the building. But now they're finally completely rebranding it and just calling it QuickBooks Time. T-Sheets will no longer exist. There's an article an um, in Intuitive accountant with some tips. So if you're you if you use T-Sheets on your website. You're supposed to remove the logo and remove the words T-Sheets and replace it with QuickBooks Time and the new logo. And then any links you have, the T-Sheets website's going to be completely pulled down and it's going to reroute all the traffic to uh, a QuickBooks domain slash time tracking, basically.
2: Rest in peace, T-Sheets.
0: And then if you're a certified T-Sheets pro, your status will be maintained, but you're going to get a new badge or logo that'll be
2: say say, QuickBooks Time certified pro. Intuit also gave a present to accountants. That whole rebranding of T-Sheets is a little bit inconvenient, right? Yes. We got to go change our websites. But they did us a favor. Now, accounting firms are going to get QuickBooks Online Advanced as their free firm account. It used to be that you got Plus, QuickBooks Online Plus, as your free account. Now, you're going to be upgraded automatically to Advanced. So, you can actually... see what is available in advance
0: and this is a no-brainer because i mean it always worked that way i mean even back in the quickbooks desktop days the accountant's edition was the over encompassing it had every bell and whistle every feature of any other edition of quickbooks in it and for whatever reason yeah (laughs) never rolled this out before it doesn't make any sense but now accounts can service their clients better
2: yeah how are are accounts supposed to support people on quickbooks advanced if they don't even have access to it themselves so yeah this is good
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by QuickFee. Have you ever had a client that needed your services and requested a payment plan, but they didn't want to apply for a loan, open a new line of credit, or sadly were declined by the bank? And let's be honest, you probably didn't want to deal with the credit applications, credit checks, or a super embarrassing, you've been declined conversation. Imagine giving your clients the key to unlocking interest-free, reward-earning monthly payment plans. QuickFee allows your clients to pay outstanding fees and up to 12 installments while your firm gets paid upfront and in full. With zero technical implementation needed, QuickFee is the risk-fee way to offer your clients the payment terms they need, allowing you to focus on delivering the services they deserve. To hashtag beat the bank with QuickFee installments and join QuickFee in offering the responsible alternative to financing, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/quickfee. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/quickfee. QuickFee, a unique payment option your clients will love. But but what uh, another article? But what a lot of accountants are very upset because when Intuit gives, but Intuit also takes away, right? So <laughs> oh, yeah. so a beginning. Um, there's a lot of hubbub on the Facebook groups about this. People again with their pitchforks. They want to like, I'm going to leave QuickBooks. You know, people get very upset. But there is free ACH with QuickBooks Online, right? And so a lot of accountants use that to build their clients.
2: Right, it's free. Right, ACH. So so free ACH. So uh, I know I'm not using a credit card. I am getting an electronic payment.
0: Yeah, so I send you an invoice and on the invoice I enable ACH payment. You're my client. You go in and you just pay it and then I get no, no fee
2: for that. And normally this sort of thing is like 50 cents or a dollar or more, uh, but it was free for the accountants. As it a was partner. free, right? Okay. And, and But it took like, uh, you
0: know, Five days transfers. It took a little while, right? But it was free. Yeah. you yeah, that's, that's And then nice. over the last year, I think we talked about this at Cryptus Connect two years ago. When we 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 attended. They started out talking about next day ACH, and so over the last year, you could opt into next day ACH. It was it was tricky because I thought I was when I opted into it a year ago. I thought I was opting in just for one payment. And, and once you once you once you go, you can't go back. So I opted in and I was on the 1%. So there's so there's a eight and basically it's instant or next day ACH at a
2: 1% fee. So so wait, you had free ACH and then you accidentally opted into next day and now you're paying 1% of the transaction? With a max of $10, yes. On every transaction? On on
0: any ACH transactions that I get inbound. Oh, Correct.
2: Okay. So that, that would be something like I would definitely not want to do.
0: So it was a big jump. So what they're gonna do now, instead of people just opting into that as of March 10th there's no more free. Everybody's going to go on the next day and for the fee. They're rolling in this out to everybody beginning March 10th.
2: Hold hold on a second. If I as an accounting firm have been getting free ACH and billing all my clients every month and not paying any transaction fees. This way, I am now going to owe 1% up to $10 on every single payment. Yes. That could be a lot of money. I mean like if I have uh, 100 clients, now I'm talking like maybe I'm paying $1000 in fees every month. But if you take a- People must be upset. Yes, the Facebook groups are on fire. They're on fire, they're on fire, on fire about
0: this. But if you open the QuickBooks Cash account, you get free instant deposits, even on nights and weekends and holidays.
2: Okay, so they're basically pushing everyone over to QuickBooks Cash. Exactly. This is the QuickBooks bank account that is integrated into, well- I mean, it's integrated, but not that well into QuickBooks Online.
0: Not yet. I, I got it. I got my debit card came in the mail finally, um, but I'm having a hard time activating it. It's, it's just, it, it, it needs a little polish still. Like it's not as integrated as I imagined it would be. Um, it's green. It has all the colors. It also, all the branding. It's just, instead of leaving QuickBooks to go to a bank website to bring up the bank, essentially think about it as just, you're going to the bank inside of QuickBooks but it's still kind of separate. Right. Like I did a transfer to between two accounts and it didn't create the transfer transaction for me. I had to still go put a transaction into the accounting system. So that way the bank feed would match my transaction. So it's not as integrated as I would expect it yet, but you can definitely see where they're gonna, it's in, right? Like why, why would you, especially for a new business, if I didn't have another bank account, like why wouldn't I just sign up and mm-hmm. use this? But then it also questions like, I'm not sh- sure how I could set up a new account if I didn't already have a bank account, because there's no way for me to put the money in there. Yeah. Yeah. I had to to try to connect a different bank account to transfer money. So there's, it's, it's happening. It's coming. um, But that's, that's, that's the motivation on this. It's to get people to use the QuickBooks bank account probably.
2: Well, and we got an email from a listener, Todd Plager about QuickBooks cash. And he had some good like Intel based on, It sounds like a lot of calls with Intuit support regarding one of his clients. And he's rolling it out for his client, right? Right. So here here is something that every pro advisor should know about uh, QuickBooks Cash. So Todd's client, mid last month, one of his clients accepted the invitation for QuickBooks Cash. And they thought that they would no longer pay the merchant processing fees associated with their Intuit merchant account. That was actually a mistake. You're still going to pay the merchant fees. It's just the... ACH, right? That is now free. Yep. Here's the thing that got a little sticky. Once the client learned from Todd that he would still have to pay the merchant fees, he wanted to switch back. He didn't want the QuickBooks Cash account anymore. But it turns out that once you turn on QuickBooks Cash, you are required to put all the ACH and credit card payments through a QuickBooks invoice into that account. It just they go in there now. Well,
0: well you're not required, but it, during the interview, because when I set mine up, it like defaulted to that. And I, okay. I just was like, um, I don't have time to make this decision, so I opted not to do it. And I was like, I'll just hook it up. I always do that with things. Like, I'll hook it up later if I really want to do this. But yeah, So if you go a little bit fast through the onboarding of the um, QuickBurst cash, yes, there's, an, there's a question that says, have all my payments go to this account? And if you say yes, that's what happened to Todd's client. It tied it. And then so how did Todd fix this?
2: Well, and that's the thing. So this is important. It's irreversible, apparently, at least according to Todd and his communication with support. So the only way to fix it is to cancel the debit card associated with the QuickBooks Cash account. And that's what he's going to have to do. So it's a big hassle. So just be careful. I would would recommend doing a proactive communication out to your clients, warning them not to turn on QuickBooks Cash without talking to you. Intuit has a habit of doing this. If they've done it for years, right? Well they'll they'll reach out to clients because they don't know who has an account and who it's doesn't. It's an opportunity
0: for you to provide value, right? Beat yeah. your clients to the punch. Be like, Hey, this is great. There's this bank account. I'm gonna help you get on it, but don't do it on your own because one, two, or the one wrong
2: click, you know, things you get good. Yes, yeah. Exactly. So uh, there is that. Thank you, Todd, for that intel. Appreciate that.
0: And so we have a, another article about Intuit. Intuit acquired OneSaaS. So Intuit is making that push in e-commerce. We talked about this before on the podcast, how they attempted to buy Big Commerce, right? We have talked mm-hmm. about how they acquired um, TradeGecko, and now it's just called QuickBooks Commerce. So now they've acquired OneSaaS. OneSaaS is kind of like a middleman app that's really tied to a bunch of e-commerce platforms and brought data back into QuickBooks. So, so to some extent, I don't know if if this is going to live as, a, as its own product or if this is going to be more of a technology pay that gets rolled into the whole QuickBooks and e-commerce platform.
2: I have a feeling, this is just my guess, that Intuit bought them for the API connections and this like interface, and they're just going to use it to build out more Intuit-owned connections to all these e-commerce platforms. Like That's my guess because I've used OneSaS. It's been a while, I'll admit, but it is hard to use it's complicated because of what it is it is a third-party database that tries to be the central repository for everything <laughs> from accounting to inventory like it's it's quite a system so and then I it's very clear like intuit's trying to become that
0: center of the e-commerce universe. Like Intuit is trying to not let Shopify become that or Amazon or whoever else is trying to become that. Intuit definitely does not want to lose that that space, especially the way e-commerce is growing. Yeah. Right. And and if, if Intuit is not there, that means half of all the businesses that are probably existing in the future can't use Intuit products. So this is a this is a very strategic play. What's interesting is I feel like at Intuit, I think they've wanted to do this for a long time, but and I think they thought at one time they just built themselves right? But it was very clear, like, you need a level of expertise that other people have been working a Decade on by themselves. And that's where these acquisitions are. Yeah. Really and I wouldn't be surprised if there's two or three more e-commerce acquisitions by Intuit.
2: Like, it may be a shipping app um, and, and on that side. And then um, I'm trying to well, think Well, they, they, they need to own the whole stack because everything's moving to e-commerce. If you want to be able to support retail when e-commerce is how they're having to do business, you've got to not only have the point of sale, You've got to have the shipping, like you said. You've got to have the the website connector. You've got to manage the central inventory, all of that stuff. So it's a smart move. It's interesting that you mentioned the word stack.
0: So I saw an article this week. This was on Saster, which is really a, a website for startups, right? Startups that are building good software startups, right? Software, software startups, yeah. Software status. And there's an article on there about best of breed apps that they're still winning. So we're starting to see this consolidation in our space of, you know, Office 365, all the apps are built in. And we're starting, and even in our space, you have zero buying HubDoc and buying other apps and building in QuickBooks. We just talked about the e-commerce stuff. More and more of these these behemoths are buying all these sub-apps. But what this article points out is that even though we're seeing this, because ultimately from a buyer's perspective, it's easy, right? You want to just buy from a vendor you trust. And if you can get everything from one vendor, it's easy. A lot of people will do that. It's easy to do. But what they're seeing is the more these suites rise, the bigger they get, the um, larger they get, the actual best of breed apps, the add-on apps continue to grow. So I feel like this is like from a... I feel it's very encouraging for like any of the the app developers that are listening to the podcast that even though Intuit, QuickBooks, um, Zero, Sage, they're buying all these apps and building them into their behemoth app. Even though that's happening, people are still getting six or seven more add-on apps. Like they'll never catch up. They're never going to build everything. There's always going to be a market for best-of-breed smaller
2: apps that do a specific function. Yep, and and I'm with you. I think we're going to have both. We're going to have those all-in-one solutions that plug into a bunch of of best-of-breed solutions, and it's the best for everyone that way. And 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 I think there's a little pendulum, right? I think like you
0: know the big Intuit bites T-Sheets now. It's fully integrated into QuickBooks Time. Right. But that's just going to slow down because it's part of big intuit into it goes a little bit slower, right? Right. They're, so, they're not going to
2: innovate on that product. Exactly.
0: Somebody's going to, and so there'll be some new concept of how to track time here popping up. And then that'll be the breast of bee breed. So there's a little bit of a pendulum swing, but it's really encouraging that, you know, the trend we're on is not the, tr- the trend we think we're seeing
2: is not necessarily the trend. You mentioned zero. I've got some zero updates for you here in February. You can now create your own chart of account templates in the practice menu of Zero HQ. Basically, you create these templates at your practice level. And then you, when you add new clients, you can apply those templates as you create the account. So saves you the trouble of having to import a CSV file to populate that. That's nice. I'm surprised at how long that's taken to exist. Because
0: in a way, people could easily do that in the desktop days, right? You, you create it once, you save it or back it up. And you got it, but it seems like it would be so logical in the cloud world just to be like, boom, and it just moves it to the next company over. But even QuickBooks, it took the QuickBooks Online, they I announced know. this like a year ago, but it still took them a decade to add this. It's so strange that out of the gate, it wouldn't like this temp concept of a template wouldn't be there with online software.
2: Well, it's because David, there's just so much for them to do, and you can see that in the next thing I'm going to talk about here with Zero. This has been. I think a feature request that I have personally had on the Zero support forum since I started using Zero, which is I mean I don't know how long ago that was now, like 2009 uh 2000 yeah, it must have been 2008, 2009. So one of the issues with Zero in the US has been trying to produce a check register report. This is something that I think is like a default report in QuickBooks desktop. Basically an account transactions report, a detail of the transactions in a particular account showing the split, meaning what expense account it was coded to or liability account or asset account, just the other side of that transaction. And believe it or not, you could not produce this report in Zero, And it would be one of those things that people wouldn't know about. Accountants would sign up for Zero, They would start using the product. They'd be really happy with it. And then they'd realize they can't give their client this report which is a pretty common thing to want to do to be able to give your client a report of their credit card transactions and how they were coded. So the client can then go and tell you to change something, or maybe you put them into uncategorized and that's showing on the column and they can go and edit that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So zero finally gave us that ability. This is like, I'm so happy. This is something I've wanted for a long time. So now on the account transactions report, you can see a column called related account It's there by default. And it shows you the split. It shows the other side of the accounting journal, and thank you, Zero. It's going to be rolled out globally in the coming months. Right now, it's just in the US.
0: Wow. It's 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 like they only built this just for you. And you were probably the first person, because you were really one of the first Zero people in the US. You probably reported this to them first. Like they finally got to your list.
2: Yeah. And this is one of those things where people had been going on the forum and just saying like, I see that there's been no progress on this for five years. Are you guys crazy? <laughs> like, <laughs> It's one of those things. Uh, and they finally did it. So thank you, Zero. Thank you for... Listening to your U.S. customers, I mean, look, I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell anyone who loves zero this, and I love zero. Their biggest challenge in the U.S. is that uh, they don't give enough dev resources to the U.S. because all of it's in New Zealand. You, you would think that New Zealand and the U.S. are not that different. I'm sorry, they are very different. And if you want to win the U.S. market, you got to understand U.S. accountants, and we like our reports a certain way. So if you don't give us one of our reports that we currently give to clients, it's very common. You're going to have trouble converting us. Especially if the other accounting software packages are using, they're right, offering by default. Reports. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sense. And there's other examples of this. And so, um, this this is this makes me happy. So, good for them. Uh, what else we got? I got updates on Bill.com. Did you see Bill.com stock? Holy crap. I want to see where it's at right now. Yesterday, it was going nuts. And we are recording on Saturday, February 6th. So, on the 5th, there was an article on The Motley Fool... Uh, Called I was here's ask some, uh, Wall Street bets. I was wondering if you're headed down that path. <laughs> no, no. This is so. This is different than Wall Street's bets. This is not GameStop because this is actually based in the reality of the financial results and financial statements. Bill.com had a really good quarter and their stock shot up as a result. So let's see where Bill is at. It is uh, ticker symbol is B I L L, which is just awesome. So currently they are up thirty two percent as of uh, this morning. Or I guess the close on Friday. Uh, and here's some stats from so they had a their, 30% one day jump yeah wow yeah yeah so it's like 32% uh, and that's a lot from you know for a fintech like an established public fintech like bill.com so you know once companies go public they don't grow as fast that's a given right we've seen that with zero quickbooks online they're growing what 20 30% annually bill.com blew away estimates their subscription and transaction fee revenue which they call their core revenue, increased by 59% year over year. So we're talking double the growth of the other established fintech companies or accounting software companies. Their adjusted gross margin, 77%, really strong there, handily beat expectations. They now have over 100,000 customers. That's a year over year growth of 27%. So their customer growth has been slower than the revenue growth, which means that they are getting bigger customers or customers paying more. And they processed an amazing $34.8 billion in payment volume, which is 40% more than a year ago. And they're getting close to profitability. I think the markets really, really liked that. Uh, and their lenders love them too. They were able to raise over a billion dollars in capital at 0% interest convertible notes. They've got $1.7 billion in cash to fuel their growth. So, hey, this is great news for payments and digital payments. And what do you think drove this? The pandemic, right? People not being in the office, needing to digitize their AP workflows.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen the same thing. You talk to accountant after accountant after accountant, and they're like, "My client had paper checks, and nobody could go to the office and get them." Especially in the beginning of the pandemic, there was like, you know, I I, I don't like people didn't even want to touch. If if somebody hand wrote the checks, nobody wanted to touch them to put them in envelopes, right? Or nobody, if somebody else wrote the checks and they still need somebody to sign the checks or deliver the checks, like nobody physically wanted to touch the checks, and this is caught up.
2: Yep, and. I think this shows that bill.com is successfully moving up market. Like I said, they, they, they grew revenue faster than customers, which means they're getting bigger customers. That's my, uh, conclusion there, you know, my guess.
0: Which makes sense. I mean, their product is really designed for people that have complicated approval workflows and who has that bigger businesses, (laughs) This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. Do you have a client that has outgrown QuickBooks or Zero, Or do you have a client that is still in QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise Edition because all the current cloud accounting offerings lack the depth of features and controls that your clients need? Or maybe you have a client with legacy desktop ERP system and they are ready to move to the cloud. Let me introduce you to Odoo. Odoo is a highly customizable cloud ERP system with everything your clients need, including dozens of built-in app modules and thousands of third-party apps. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odu. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O D O O.
2: And we're seeing smaller competitors pop up. Uh, There's a new company that just raised money in the space called Lockstep. They're a cloud AP slash AR company. They raised $10 million in Series A funding. This was reported in accounting today. I honestly can't tell what makes them different than any of the other AP AR startups out there, but maybe it doesn't matter because there's just so much room in this market. Is it Lockstep.io? Yeah, Lockstep.io. So AP companies, AR companies... Moving people paperless, that's all because we're all remote. I've got a remote work story. There are other consequences of working remote, and this may be good or bad, depending on your perspective. Whistleblowing has soared to a record amount with Americans working from home. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission received 6,900 tips, alleging white-collar malfeasance in the fiscal year that ended September 30, a 31% jump from the previous 12-month record. That's according to an article in Accounting Today. So whistleblowing is up 31%. And the guess as to why is that when people are working at home, they feel a little bit less loyal to the businesses they work for. Or maybe they feel freer to pick up the phone and call the SEC because they're not you know, going to get caught doing it. I thought this was interesting. Like, so this points out a challenge of working from home, which is how do you motivate, inspire a remote team? I think we all agree that is one of the big challenges of remote. Although there's all these cost savings of not having the office and people actually work more, engagement is an issue. And I spotted an article about Microsoft taking a big bet on this. They, according to the Wall Street Journal, have unveiled a new set of apps for employee management. Now, it's described as employee management, and the app is called Viva, but when I click through and I... I look into what it actually is. It's, it's really like a way to get employees to be more engaged with what's going on at work and potentially even uh, monitor them. So, so Microsoft Viva, it looks like it's got a knowledge base in there. So you can harness knowledge and expertise. It's got a Viva Connections module that is supposed to amplify culture and communications Uh, They've got a learning module to help people learn when they're not in the office, right? You can't just learn by walking around and talking to people. Uh, And then they've got Viva Insights, where this is the part where it might get a little bit big brothery. It's supposed to give you data-driven insights that are also privacy protected to improve productivity and well-being. So you can see how much your employees are working, when they're working. Is this one of those apps that you can actually even view their screen as they're working type things? I think that's what people are really worried about. And no, I don't see any of that in here. So supposedly they figured out how to balance or they're trying to figure out how to balance the, the insights that you might get having employees in the office, like being able to see them work when they're working at home, but without them feeling creeped out. That's what Microsoft is going for. So Microsoft profiled in the Wall Street Journal, they're putting a big bet on this as being a huge need. And it makes sense to me because like I said, employee engagement is one of the big problems uh when working from home right you you want to keep people in the loop. you want to keep people aware of what 's going on. How do you do that when they 're at home and they 're not you know at your office And so, that 's why we 've seen those whistleblowing increases
0: so I have a whistleblowing story oh really yes so um deloitte so the, i don 't know if you saw this this week um, an employee from Deloitte in China published a fifty five page powerPoint slide deck and emailed it to every single the entire deloitte Apparently you can just do this. You work for Deloitte, you have access to email. Every single Deloitte employee a slide deck, right? So, so <laughs> like the listserv, the whole listserv. Yes, or something? Exactly. So
4: every single oh Deloitte person
0: got this email. And apparently it's it's floating around. There's um a Chinese a China version of Twitter, something called Weibo, W-E-I-B-O. I'm not yeah. on that, but apparently this PowerPoint deck is on there. So if anybody finds this PowerPoint deck, I'd love to see what's in here. But the it's 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 the typical stuff, right? The auditors and people ignoring things, right? And so he was told by a, another member on the auditing project they were on not to be so careful and just fill the numbers randomly. <laughs> and this is in the presentation. <laughs> this is in the presentation um, for a, for a client called RYB Education, which has a bunch of drama. Apparently, they um, seventy of its employees got arrested because they were injecting the students with something. Um, so, so, so this, so this, this company was questionable to begin with, but then it turns out the, uh, all the money was being spent on the children of the school's executives, not actually on the children that attend the school. So, and so they just, they just wrote it off to management fees and just kind of ignored it.
2: So this is an auditor at Deloitte who was auditing this company that didn't like how the audit was going and decided to just like, was- Tell everyone,
0: and not just one. It, it was uh, over a period of two years, 2016 and 2017. It was ten different clients. Oh wow, that that are called out in this deck. I uh, want to see this. So, in defensive auditors, there's an interview with somebody from Ernst and Young who worked on the Luckin Coffee, and the quotes really are, you know, if auditors have too much work to do, they can only lower their audit quality, you know, pushing the industry in a vicious cycle. And he told a story about how during the peak audit season, you know, he might need to review 400 to 500 audit paper folders, right? And each document needs to be reviewed twice. And at one time, he had a spreadsheet with 10,000 lines and he had to review 10,000 receipts in two days, which is basically impossible. So people are going to ignore these problems when they come across them, these auditors.
2: Well, and this is the whole problem with the way the the audit profession works is if you want to have a profitable audit, if you want to make a lot of money on your audit, which is what all the audit firms want, then you use as few people as possible. You make them work as hard as possible. You overwork them. You don't train them, right? Like audit quality and profitability are at opposite ends. If you want to improve audit profitability, you tend to reduce audit quality. So auditors are always just going to do the bare minimum, big firms especially, right? Well, they'll do the bare minimum to pass the audit uh, inspection and, and, and get it done. And there's a whole
0: podcast we could do just on, on that. But then Deloitte still couldn't stay out of the news this week. So I, I, no, I think I saw on social media that you worked the uh, vaccine station last weekend.
2: Yeah, I worked at the State Farm Stadium uh, vaccine site in Phoenix. Got it. You know, for and, like a day. Got it. And so anybody who has to
0: get a vaccine, you have to make an appointment through a vaccine appointment system. A website, yes, a web- which website? they are not very good. I'll tell you that. And then you've probably seen some headlines and that the people are either they're showing up and then there's no shots or the inventory is not there or their appointments are overbooked and then they're sitting outside and waiting. And so what's happening is it turns out the US paid Deloitte $44 million to build this appointment system.
2: So yeah, I heard about this, that it was the CDC, right? Paid them a bunch of money to build an appointment system that is not working very well at all right like it's
0: yeah so in may so in may they um the cdc signed a 16 million dollar deal with deloitte right um to create a centralized website so that all the states could use it and track all their vaccine appointments and then over time deloitte got another 28 million in december for this same project and they created this fancy product product called the vaccine administration management system vams v-a-m-s Mm -hmm. and by the time it was said and done only nine states even opted into the system because a lot of a lot of as they kicked the tires on it a lot of states just decided against it they weren't going to use it um and then the scary part of this is that cdc did not um let me get the quote here
2: they didn't put it out to bid so they just gave the contract to deloitte and didn't like seek anyone else which is crazy to me like I mean, first of all, why do you think that a consulting firm is going to do a good job at building a massive national vaccination system that's going to have to process hundreds of millions of appointments? Like why wouldn't you go to like Microsoft or amazon or or Google? Like this is the same problem that with the PPP where they could have built a much better system if they would just gotten tech involved, right?
0: And the CDC identified Deloitte as the only quote-unquote responsible source capable of building this. Like, like, this just proves maybe, you know, all the, I always bring this up, how the Deloitte or whoever will be at the Miss America pageant, and they'll have the briefcase or the Academy Awards, right? They have the yeah, briefcase yeah, yeah. with the handcuffs, right? Like, like maybe that marketing is really working because the CDC is like, who can we trust? Well, obviously those guys. They, they, they hold the Academy Awards. They they keep it secret. The the results. It's just crazy. Then it makes me wonder, like, oh my gosh, what else is
2: the CDC not making good decisions on? What, what else are they outsourcing to Deloitte? Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, hopefully they'll figure that out and that the websites won't be a blocker to vaccine distribution. Right now, it's it's mostly there just isn't enough vaccine. But that is supposedly going to get fixed pretty soon. And if people can get their appointments and get going, like I'm really optimistic that we could have everybody vaccinated by – or everyone vaccinated who wants a vaccine vaccinated by the summer.
0: I mean, for $48 million, I probably could use Calendly and um a google sheet <laughs> and zapier and probably built a similar system
2: <laughs> and i've heard that that's what a lot of the local jurisdictions like counties are doing they're they're using um like ticketing systems for concerts and stuff and uh and scheduling systems for business, small businesses somebody was using eventbrite i think for vaccines vaccine appointments which kind of i mean it makes sense right like uh, those those businesses or those software companies have been like building stuff like this for all sorts of businesses for a long time. They they have a lot of features. Works well. I don't know. Yeah, you know, gonna like get this
0: just the government, and like this is not going to go down well. Like this is just another
2: like taking a fifty million. Everybody's getting their hands in this pie. You know. I know. And well, like and Deloitte, million. it's just another example of like consultants trying to get some a piece of the action. And I think Deloitte just made a big mistake not realizing the the PR fallout that would happen. It wasn't. You know, you think government would have learned its lesson. Didn't we cover how like Canadian payroll got all screwed up for years due to like hiring a consulting firm to build? In the
0: state of California is building, trying to build their own ERP, right? They spend, <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. we see examples of this over and over and over again. Yeah.
2: Just, they don't know what they're doing. Well, David, this has been a pleasure as always. We are out of time. I am at Blake T Oliver and I love hearing from our listeners. Please connect with me, send me a message, send me an email. You can leave us a voicemail. We always love hearing from our listeners. Actually, we got a voicemail this week, right? We got a voicemail this week. We got to, we got to listen to it. Let's go and listen. And I haven't heard this one yet. So let's, uh, let's pull that up. You've got mail.
4: Hey, Blake and David, it's Sean Birdsell calling from Victoria, BC. You mentioned something last week about accounts and bookkeepers feeling icky about supporting PPP applications businesses that maybe didn't totally need the funds, and I think this PPP regret fails to recognize the true purpose of the program, this is stimulus funding, plain and simple. Up here in Canada, the government offered quick and easy $40,000 loans to businesses and two different wage subsidy programs. One of the wage subsidy programs doesn't even require evidence of reduced revenue or increased expenses. It's just free money, taxable to boot. Now, sure, ideally, we would divide a program to target just businesses at the brink of financial collapse, and it would be just enough funds at just the right time to get them over the hump and back onto stable footing. But let's assume there's some potential here for further benefits from a broader program of economic stimulus. What do businesses do with some of the extra coin in the bank, they spend it. At worst, they might throw the funds through to owners, which isn't great, sure, But some some of the funds in the hands of individuals will find their way back into the economy through renovations or new cars or whatever else. As long as that money isn't saved in a bank account, it's benefiting somebody somewhere. These are not perfect systems, and there's a lot of waste in the programs at this scale, not to mention the woo-woo weirdness of modern monetary theory to create this money out of thin air. But I don't think anybody should be feeling any guilt because they helped clients access programs they didn't absolutely need to stay afloat. As long as you follow the guidelines of the program, sleep easy. The funds are still benefiting the business and the economy more broadly. Thanks
2: well, thank you, Sean, for that balanced view and I gotta say i I agree with you in the in the big scheme of things, these are programs that are designed to stimulate the economy. They weren't marketed very well because in the u s we had this name, the paycheck protection program and and really, that's something that Democrats added to appease their side. But Republicans agreed to do it to stimulate the businesses. And in the broad scheme of things, we just want to get money into the economy. I get that. I just wish it was a little more targeted, that more of the money was going to the people who are out of work. The people who don't have jobs, the 10 million people in the United States who are struggling to pay their rent and buy groceries and getting evicted. Like, I would love to see more being done to help them. Uh, But I agree with you. I don't think anyone should feel shame for taking PPP money. I think everybody should take everything that they are entitled to under the law and use it for whatever they feel is appropriate. Uh, Thank you, Sean, so much for that really thoughtful voicemail. If you want to give us a call, give us a a ring at 202-695-1040. You get three minutes. So try to keep it to around two. Leave us a message and let us know what you think. And we'll take a listen and we'll play it on the air. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Talk to you next week, David. Right, bye. Bye.
0: Time for the classifieds. Looking to radically increase productivity as a QuickBooks ProAdvisor? Instead of juggling a tech stack with your practice, you can now track and manage your workflow, communicate with clients, and manage files all in one single, powerful, yet amazingly simple platform, ClientHub. When you leverage ClientHub's all-in-one platform that goes across your team and your clients, magic happens. Ready to start feeling that in your firm? Start your free trial at clienthub.app today. Use promo code CAP25 to receive 25% off your first three months. How does your firm manage tech discovery? Hundreds of tools are launching around the globe every week and identifying the right tech to help run your firm and advise your clients is growing more and more complex. Launch for Accountants reviews hundreds of new tech launches each week in the accounting, fintech, and B2B space. They handpick their favorites for accountants and send them directly to your inbox every Sunday. In 2020, Launch for Accountants reviewed over 8,000 product launches. To get the six best launches of the week in your inbox each Sunday, sign up at launchfa.com. That's launchfa.com. We have to tell you about a new app on the QuickBooks app store called UnCat. It has nothing to do with cats. It has everything to do with fixing uncategorized expenses. If you're still exporting spreadsheets of uncategorized expenses from QBO to send to your clients, you need to stop doing that. UnCat notifies your clients about uncategorized expenses and lets them add descriptions and receipts online. You can then assign expenses to the right accounts and everything syncs with QBO so you don't have to copy and paste anything. UnCat is fast and easy for you and your clients so everybody's happier. So ditch the spreadsheets and manual data entry and head over to uncat.com. As a cloud accounting podcast listener, your first client is free. That's www.uncat.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the cloud accounting podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.